Well, we sung about it. We're going to hear about it this morning. There seems to be something that is true about the song that we've just heard. That our hearts are tethered to things. Our hearts, it's not just some, you know how worship songs can be, poetic, you know, sometimes cringy for some, if you're not the arty type. But I love that particular song because there's such a truth in what it says. Our hearts are tethered to things. I've seen this firsthand when my uh, little brother, we were walking home from school or somewhere, he, he found um, five cents. Remember that stuff called money that we had back before 2020? That's what it looks like if you forgot what a five cent coin looks like. Uh, but before the pandemic, uh, my brother had five cents. And so he would, he would uh, pick this five cents that was up on the ground and he clung to that thing like his life depended on it. Uh, I mean, he would walk around the house. All we could ever hear as kids, we look back, he was about four years old at the time. He would just walk around saying, I love my five cents. I love my five cents. I love my five cents. Like it went wherever he went. When he went off to sleep, you could hear him going off to sleep. I love my five cents. I love my five cents. You could even hear him in the bathroom from time to time. I love my five cents. I love my five cents. It was just wherever it went, the five cents went wherever he went. Because five cents to a four-year-old child, I mean, that's like winning the lottery, right? That's that's like all of the world's wealth in his hand as he was holding this and walking around with this. I mean, it was almost like he was worshipping the thing. (laughs) To which I think, aren't we lucky that we don't do that when we grow up and become adults, right? (laughs) If we're subtitling the online church, subtitle, note sarcasm, brackets. (laughs) It's not like we walk around saying, I love my career, I love my career, I love my career, I love love my career. It's not like we walk around saying, I love my children's future success, I love my children's future success, I love my children's future success. It's not like we walk around saying, I love my bank account, I love my bank account, I love my... It's not like we walk around saying, I love the appreciation in my property, particularly given I live in Sydney, particularly I live in... Right? The truth of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, if if you're anything like me, is that there are things in my life that my heart clings to like a five-year-old and a five-cent coin. There are things that my heart just seems to instinctively tether itself to. And the principle is this, that we, for whatever reason, end up serving the things the gain the affections of our hearts. Have you noticed this? I know it's, it's mysterious and the Bible will speak into this, but I'm sure that you've sensed this, that we serve the things which gain the attention of our hearts. Now, this is not a Christian thing, by the way. So if you're watching in and you're thinking, oh, here he goes into Christian gobbledygook, it's not a Christian thing. This is a thing thing. Uh, this is just an everyone thing. In fact, so much of the passage that we'll look at this morning describes the dynamic that is happening around, particularly for non-Christians, with this dynamic. This is just a thing thing. Bob Dylan understood this. The writer, for anyone under the age of 30, he was a guitar player, and he said, you may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, you might like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. That's the reality. We all worship someone or something. And the thing is that 
when we worship these things, more often than not, we're blind. We don't sense what it is that we're actually truly worshipping. All of us move into this place and we say, I worship Jesus, which is good. That's the Sunday school answer, right? But the truth is and the reality when I look out into this congregation and as you sit there watching in, that there are things in your heart and my heart that we are serving that have become ultimate things in our lives and we don't even know it. You've seen this, right, surely. You've seen this in in people in romance where they say, I'm not, I'm not serving love or romance. And then a relationship breaks up and they're absolutely devastated. See this with people with their money. They say, I'm not, I'm not serving money. And then they, they, lose, they lose their money and they're absolutely devastated. You see these people more recently with they. They elevate and they serve ideals in society and then we have a change of government and they're absolutely devastated. Um, there's, there's a sense where that, that these things, if, if they fail them, have you noticed they become inordinately despondent, like it crushes them. Have you noticed that in people? If they lose it. And it's weird because it's different for you and for them and for me and for us. It's different for all of us because we're all serving something that may not be the same thing. And, and it's different, and, and often that's the trick. You know that you're serving something other than God when you're inordinately despondent about something that just doesn't rouse or move the person next to you. I'll give you an example of how, um, how this worked. Um, just after the global financial crisis, uh, my best mate uh, was working for Credit Suisse, and we had the most, and he's not a churchgoer, he's not a believer, but he said one of the most profoundly spiritual things that ever came out of his mouth. Uh, we were sitting down having lunch um, down there at Circular Quay near where his building was, and as he was talking through the, the ripple effects uh, on people's salaries after the global financial crisis, he said, you know what, the hardest thing for me and my colleagues has been that we just had to come to the realisation that a 23-year-old is not worth $250,000 per annum not even to the Australian economy. <laughs> and he said, what's got us the most is that our paychecks became our identity. You've got to serve somebody. We, we worship someone. or some, It was the most profoundly spiritual thing that I've heard my mate say. We find our identity in our paycheck. And look, Dylan didn't... <laughs> Did, Dylan didn't define this. Um, my mate didn't define this principle. This has been the principle of the whole Bible. And the biblical term for this is idolatry. Idolatry is the bi biblical term for all of this. Uh, and you see this right throughout the whole Bible. The theme with the golden calf. It's what happens to humanity. Remember the golden calf and Moses is up on the mountain talking to God, having a good time. Everyone's down below. Everyone gets a bit bored. And so they figure, well, why not let's take off all of our earrings and seeing as Moses is having such a good time with God, let's make a golden calf and we'll worship that. <laughs> such is the desire of our heart that these guys started worshipping earrings. Psalm 106 says, they exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. And they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. And then Isaiah 44 goes on to say, no one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say half of it, meaning wood, 
wooden things. Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? (laughs) To which... To which some of you are saying this morning, like, what the heck is like earrings and blocks of wood got to do with church this morning? And the answer is everything. In fact, um, when you get an understanding of what we're talking about over the next couple, th- this changed my whole view of the Bible. It changed my view of the Christian life. It changed my view of how we change. It changed my view of sin. It changed my view of how we use the gospel on our hearts. Like, this is the centerpiece of everything. And this was the context that the Apostle Paul had gone into, into the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17. We see Paul has been kicked out of the region of Berea basically because of religious Jewish people that were annoyed that the Gentiles were worshipping with them. Uh, That was the series that we did about two or three uh, months ago at the beginning of the year. The Jewish Christians beat Paul out because he was letting the heathen into the church. And so Paul says, I think I'll go for excursion that's an excursion, uh, to Athens, and I'll go and see what's happening there. And, it, and we come into the passage here, it says, while Paul was waiting for others to join him in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. To which we go, what's that got to do with this everything? Look, let's, please don't be confused. I, idolatry has nothing to do with statues or pieces of wood. Ezekiel 14 says, when any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing in Israel separates themselves from me, being God, and sets up idols in their hearts. Paul wasn't afraid of a statue. Paul's seen lots of statues. (laughs) He wasn't worried that that the Greeks had all sorts of different statues. What he was worried about was what was beneath the statues and the dynamic was what was happening around it. And the dynamic was idolatry. And idolatry is this. Idolatry is when you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing. I'll say it again. Idolatry is when you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing. And in so doing, you begin to worship this good thing as an ultimate thing instead of God. In effect, you substitute God out. Another great singer understood this dynamic. Uh, Kate Bush, didn't she? Um, Her song, Running Up That Hill, is so hot right now because of Stranger Things. That's why, like, everyone now, and I can use this illustration because everyone under 30 knows Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. But she said, if only I could make a deal with God and get him to swap our places, I'd be running up that hill, (laughs) I'd be running up that building, In other words, like if I can just make a deal with God that if I can be God or something else can be God, I can fix my life. That is the very essence of that famous passage in Romans 1, which describes the unwinding of this precious dynamic where God said, I want to be the ultimate thing in your life. I have created you to worship because I've created you to serve and worship me, which sounds selfish, I'll get to that in a second. But God says the reason that you want to worship stuff is I've created you that way. And that idolatry is effectively Kate Bushing the dynamic in saying, you know what, God, life's not going that well for me. If only I can just be you for a couple of years, I'll get my life on track. I mean, we we never do that, right? Online, brackets, note sarcasm. (laughs) If only I could just be God for a minute, I'd be running up that hill. 
when good things become ultimate things and so it means that anything can become an idol now um Money can become an idol, career can become an idol, family can become an idol, achievement can become an idol, attractiveness can become an idol, romance can become an idol, approval can become an idol, financial security can become an idol. Now, don't get me wrong, like, I'm not saying here, you know, money bad, God good. No, I'm saying money good. That's the whole reason why it becomes an idol, because if money wasn't good, then it wouldn't be easy for it to become a potential idol in our lives. The approval of people, it's not saying that you shouldn't enjoy the process of being noticed and loved and valued and affirmed. It's a good thing. It's what makes it a good idol. But it's the good things in our lives that can become the ultimate things. And as a result, we begin to serve them. The Christian definition of an idol is when we elevate something good over God. For the non-Christians watching in, because I said it's, this is not a Christian thing, it's a thing thing. Idolatry is when you build your identity on anything other than God. On a paycheck. On a position. Is this making sense? So, so if we all kind of know that we've got our little five senses in our heart... <laughs> We, we kind of know that there's a thing that we're taking around with us wherever we go. Uh, my question for you this morning then, and that's all we want to come out of this morning, is what might that be for you? What's your five sensor? What's your five cent coin at the center of your life? Now, um, part of the problem with asking that question is you can't just get the answer by asking that question, <laughs> right? Because there's something about idols that have the power to blind us. It's why we serve them and not know what they really are. But these idols tend to, to, to blind us to the reality in our lives. And, and so what it means for us is, like most of the Bible, I said to you guys the other week, like most of the Bible, there's, God kind of gives us a choice to either learn the hard, hard way or the easy, hard way. Remember that one? You can either do life learning the hard, hard way or the easy, hard way. And the hard, hard way that we learn what the idols or the five cent coins in our life are, the hard, hard way we do it is we just serve them blindly until one day they fail us or they're stripped from us. Maybe some of you have already experienced this. You've experienced the pain of, of what happens when these things don't hold up to the weight that we place upon them. I've, I've seen it at the back of this auditorium. I can't tell you how many young adults that I've prayed for, particularly in, in certain Eastern cultures, that, that are having to, to be liberated from the idolatry of success, and basically in two areas, it's either law or medicine, right? If you're one of those Australian-born Chinese kids, right? That, 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 that it's not a racist thing, this is, this is a pastoral thing, a cultural thing, a cultural idol that's been built up, that whole kids' lives get wrecked because of the pressure that we put on these things. And so, that's the hard, hard way that we learn about it. You grow up like that, it fails you, it brings emotional and psychological breakdown, like this stuff is real, huh? It's real. That's the hard, hard way we can learn. And God says you're welcome to do that, but Jesus wants something better for you this morning. Jesus wants to learn the easy, hard way, which is the way that Jesus always teaches us, by the way. <laughs> Jesus says, you know, easy. Easy, easy is the, the wide gate, you know, easy hard is the narrow gate, easy hard is the disciplined method of serving and following me and I want to teach you the 
easy hard way this morning. Would you like to know the easy hard way <laughs> this morning? We see it here back in the verse from Paul. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, I said before, he wasn't distressed because he saw statues. What Paul saw was the sin beneath the statues. That's what made him distressed. What Paul saw was, as Martin Luther would call it when talking about idolatry, Paul saw the sin beneath the sin. Luther says that, that we are only ever breaking the Ten Commandments and, until we've first broken the first. You know, quick Bible study quiz. Guys, what are the Ten Commandments? You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt honor mum and dad, thou shalt not murder. But that's like five, six, seven. <laughs> what's, what's number one? Number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. And number two is, you shall not make an image of anything and worship it. To which, if you're anything like me, when I read that, I thought, God is so selfish. <laughs> if, you, if you're listening in and you think that, if you kind of think God is so up himself that he would like, that he would make people worship him like that, like that's how we think when we first hear this stuff, right? But it's because God knows us and God understands us and God created us and God built us with a worship-sized hole in our hearts and he says, I'm going to do this, but the danger of creating humanity like this is that they're going to worship things and not me. And so Paul saw the way that the Greeks were worshipping things that were not God. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Which is back to my point, if you're watching in this morning, that you don't have to be a Christian to be religious. In fact, non-Christians can be the most religious people in the world <laughs> because religion is merely the process of taking something other than God and building your life upon it. That's what religion is and all of us here are trying to come out from under that. And then he goes on to say um, that there's something beneath you that's driving you in this stuff because he says, verse 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Now, quick side note in all of this, application homework. Back to our four series that we talked about the other week. If we truly want to be the sort of Christians that are for people, if we want to truly find the common ground with people in society, often the first and the best place to look is to see what it is that the people around us really worship. Have you noticed this? Look, look at the people, whether it's on the North Shore Mums Forum or your friends or the people in your workplace and ask yourself the same question that Paul was asking. What is the sin beneath the sin? What is driving the... Use it on your boss this week. All of you, except those who work for Northside Community Church. <laughs> ask, and in your head, by the way, don't say it out loud. Don't go to your boss and say, now, what's the sin beneath the sin here? Like... But analyze what is the thing that's driving them? What is the thing that is pushing them? What is the thing that's making them like this? Because you've heard me say it once before, sin is never good deeds versus bad deeds. Sin is not the breaking of some biblical mandate. Sin ultimately has its roots in idolatry, which what it means for you and I is that, that when we come to wanting to change, we have to ask ourselves, what is the sin beneath our statues? And you, you know the way that you find that. You move into a life situation. It's like, why does this make me inordinately angry? Why is this getting under my skin? And it's not doing it for anyone else. Why am I inordinately fearful around this thing? 
Why am I overly emotional about this? What, what, is, what is it deep within me that I'm reacting to? And can I suggest to you that in most of the times, it's because that life situation or that person is challenging the thing that you truly worship. What's the sin beneath the sin? It's not about statues. Because the thing that distressed Paul was he was looking at the things beneath their statues and he could see the posturing and he could see the po- politics. The Areopagus, by the way, in that context where he was, like that was, the, that was the fluid marketplace of thought and ideas. The Areopagus was the TEDx of a- Athens. It was the TED Talk. That's what, that's what Acts chapter 17 was. It was the world's first and best TED Talk. People of Athens... I see you're very religious, I'm going to proclaim the unknown God to you. It was the center of ideas and fashion and business and politics and Paul saw all the pretty lives and the beauty and all the ideas floating around and the posturing and the sense that we're we're greater than the ideas and he saw the power and he saw the money and all of that and that's the thing that distressed him. And the question for us is, is it really that different today? Beauty is today, you don't have to walk up a hill to go and see it all. You just go to Facebook, right? (laughs) And if Paul was here today, Paul would have slid into your DMs, right? Is that what I say, hun? Is that what it means on Instagram? Uh, This is what happens when you're a pastor that's 42 trying to look cool, right? (laughs) Paul would have been commenting on the comments page. Paul would have bought this... This, this outrage, and it, and it intrigued interest, Paul, tell us what you're about, Paul saw the sin beneath the sin, and here's the second thing he did, it's a bit shorter, so he's, he says then, so even I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, and so you are ignorant, there we are, you're blind to the way that these idols, of the very thing that you worship, and so this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, and so what Paul does first and foremost is he sees the sin beneath the sin, this is how we find our idols, we ask ourselves what is the sin beneath the statues in our lives, and then the other process is then Paul begins to elevate God back up to his rightful place, which by the way, and we'll get into this next week, that, that is what I call the two-stroke engine of Christian growth and change, <laughs> of repenting of the things in our life that are not of God and repenting of the ways in which we've built our lives on things that are not God and then rejoicing and lifting and proclaiming and elevating God back up into our lives. And so he elevates God back into our lives. What does that look like practically? I'm sure you were, you were all wondering, whatever happened to Alex's five cents? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? There's people, top of their notebooks down there. What, what happened? What happened to the five cents? I'll tell you what happened to the five cents. Went out at Grandma's place, being minded by Grandma, and Alex is still wandering around at Grandma's place going, I love my five cents, I love my five cents. And so we walk into the kitchen, and there, there is my grandmother with um, one of the most desperate looks upon her face. You know, it's like she'd kind of seen a ghost. And when we walked into the kitchen to have a look at what she was up to, we saw that on the inside of a cupboard, my grandmother had recorded the price of milk from about 1965. And she had recorded every price increase in, uh, in a, a litre of milk since about 1965. And so she was looking worried because in that moment she discovered that milk had gone up like another five cents from uh, 75 to, to 80 cents, right? And, and so he said, well, what's, what's wrong, Grandma? And she said, oh, well, the price of milk's gone up. 
And so in that moment, that, that defensive, that possessive little kid stood there. He looked at the five cents. He looked at grandma. He looked at five cents. He looked at grandma. And he said, grandma, you can have my five cents. How does a a four-year-old give away his entire life's fortune? It's what Thomas Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. You will never change if you think that you can take these idols of your heart and just go home and because Sam said, don't do that anymore. In, 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 that, in that moment, my brother demonstrated the absolute secret source of Christian change. Then when we finally discover these idols of our hearts and these things that we're clinging to for our, for our identity, and we have the courage to look at them and to look at Jesus and to look at them and to look at Jesus and to look at them, then and only then by the power of his Holy Spirit can we say to him, you can have my five cents. Please don't think for a minute either, church, that you just do this once when you go to Sunday school (laughs) and then you're free from all of this. Because the reality is this morning that you've got to serve somebody. Dylan was right. In fact, no, Dylan was half right. Not you've got to serve somebody. You are serving somebody. And you're serving something. And if you're real with yourself, like I am in this moment, half the time... When I come to these different aspects of my life, it's not God. And the reality is because these things, these idols, have you and I by the throat. And the good news this morning is that Jesus wants to lead you and I out of that this morning. Dylan was right, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, it may be a statue, it may be a paycheck, it may be your identity, it may be yourself, but you've got to serve somebody. And so my question for you this morning then, if you want some homework for next week's message, if you're courageous enough to turn back up, (laughs) it's a deep topic. But here's how you know what your idol is. What is that one thing that you have to have in order to be happy? Is there a have to have in your life? What one thing, if it was stripped from you or it failed you or it fizzled out in your life, would devastate you? That, That could be a potential idol. But the whole point is that Jesus wants to come and by the power of his Holy Spirit help you identify what that is and to lead you out from its power to the sort of place where you're liberated from that. You need to ask yourself the question, what thing if I serve it, particularly if you're not yet a Christian, if I've got to serve somebody and I am serving someone or something, what one thing if I'm serving and I fail it will either crush me or forgive me? You go serve a block of wood, you go serve an ideal, you go serve a career, you go serve money, you go serve achievement, wait and watch to see what happens in your life when those things fail you, or you fail it. You serve Jesus Christ. You serve Him, the disciplines, the little things, the narrow way. You serve Him when you fail Him. You know what He does this morning? Forgives you. Let's pray. Father, I would ask in this moment that 
we each would have the courage to be open to your revelation in our lives. And Lord, I don't diminish the significance of this moment now. Whether it's here live, whether it is listening back. That you're incredible, jealous in the godly sense, desire to redirect the affections of your children is with us and available to us in this moment. And so, Father, I would ask that your spirit during this time of communion would minister to us. That on one hand, there would be hearts and souls courageous enough to open up and ask the question, Lord, what am I serving? Is it really you? And in so doing, you would reveal to us the things our hearts have inadvertently tethered themselves to. Minister to us now, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we take communion this morning, I would invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to ask him that question. All the hours, all the thinking, all the singing, all the worshiping, everything that we do on a Sunday comes to this moment where we want to proclaim Jesus to you. I want to elevate Jesus in your life. Idolatry is underneath everything and I recognize we designed the services that way to recognize that it takes us about 20 something minutes to get to the heart place in which we're willing to open ourselves up and to be real before the Lord. Courageous enough to ask him in to, to show us in this moment the things that are controlling us. You, you think you're going to get this at five o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon? <laughs> Please don't waste this moment. Begin praying to him and asking him, the Lord Jesus on the final night in that upper room said to his followers, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is spilt for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we remember him this morning, we think upon that which we're really serving. If you're not yet a Jesus follower, I always say, start following Jesus anyway. You're already following something. Redirect your affections towards him. But we know until we have that powerful experience, until we realize that in our heart of hearts, that it's the thing deepest inside of us that drives us. Until we realize when we take this communion that at the cross, Jesus himself looked up to God. And he looked at us, and he looked at God, and he looked at us, and he, and he said, I don't want to be without them. And he said, you can have my five cents. And he gave his whole life that we might be with him. Let's eat and drink and remember.